Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 43, which begins with Goose riding his motorcycle, and it ends with Goose flying into the brush on the side of the road. Oh, just just more motorcycle this, riding. Yeah. Just, this is the ride that never ends. I'm complaining about it so much, even though it's such a quick sequence in the long run of the movie, it's just the fact that we only do one minute a day. Just been pouring over the same scene over and over and over again. I have noticed in myself with this format of analyzing minute by minute, the movie as a whole has kind of lost some meaning for me. Everything like right now, my world is about one minute. Mm -hmm. And I'm so focused on that one minute that I forget like... The whole scene, like, with Jesse back at the house, that just feels like a world away. And it it feels like a different movie. Mm -hmm. And so separated from me and right now and this darn motorcycle ride. Yeah. It's kind of like when you see a picture on the wall and you're like, oh, hey, let's go check out that picture. And you get really right up close to it, almost where your nose is touching the wall. And you're like, all right, I can see all these tiny little details, but you really miss the forest for the trees there. I mean, this format is all about trees. We are obsessed with trees. Yes, we are. We sometimes forget that there's a whole forest out there. Yes. (laughs) So as we begin this minute, Goose still riding from yesterday, and he really cranks down on that accelerator throttle and he just takes off even faster than he was going before now i like going fast on my motorcycle i'm not gonna lie it's it's one of the thrills of riding but i'm not one of those people that is just gonna go out and ride for the sake of riding if i'm on the road i have a destination in mind i want to get somewhere i'm not the kind of person that can just hop on something and just go for the sake of going. It's interesting you bring that up because I think that that's a fundamental difference between the two of us. I grew up where we would go for drives as a family. Just all pile in the car, just go for a drive. We did not have a destination. We just went for a drive and just went wherever my mom felt like driving. And I love driving and I love being a passenger. I mean, you know, whenever we're driving in the car together, like I am zoned out. Oh yeah. Like good luck carrying a conversation with me because I am out the window, you know, watching the world go by completely zoned out. And I love it. I have always said that when they finally come out with, uh, automatic driving cars, I'm going to be like one of the first people to buy one. So then, <laughs> so that I can drive without paying attention to mm-hmm. the actual road. And I can just look out the window and just joyride. And I, ne- I, I never get to do that anymore. That's the one reason why I drive 45 minutes to work. And I'm really okay with that because that like fills the need I have to just drive mm-hmm. going to work every day. Yeah. Oh, it, it kills me that I have to drive 45 minutes to work. And the worst <laughs> part is it's all back roads where... Oh, that's the best. I could go on the highway oh, and cut like 10 minutes off. I... But I choose the back roads. There is nothing that hurts me more on a spiritual level... And this is pure hyperbole. This is not actually what damages my soul. But when I see a sign that says speed limit 25 miles per hour, 
my heart breaks. Oh, see, I don't even see the speed limit sign. Oh, I have to because the the back roads that I drive through are always patrolled by police officers and these towns want money. <laughs> yeah. I did get pulled over for going 15 over and the the officer, you know, she did the typical thing. Do you know why I pulled you over? Do you know how fast you were going? Do you know what the speed limit is? I'm like, honestly, I have no idea. I was just driving. She's like, were you in a rush to get somewhere? I'm like, nope. I, you know, I'm on my way home from work. I drive this road every, twice a day, every single day. She's like, you weren't in a rush to get anywhere? I'm like, nope, I was just driving. So (laughs) I am much more like in the goose camp where if I were a rider, a motorcycle rider independently, I would just go out and ride all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can understand the mentality of wanting to go out there and just open up and go. But I think it might be that how utilitarian I can be that if I'm going to go out and I'm going to burn gasoline because it is a consumable commodity, mm-hmm. like there better be a purpose behind that gasoline. Oh, wow. I, yep. I budget extra for gas. Yeah. See, I, I'm of the opinion that like, like I take my gas budget and I'm like, let's add a tank to that. Like I'm going to go somewhere. It's going to take this long. Okay. How can I cut that down? And oh. usually the way that I cut <laughs> down is I just drive faster. <laughs> That's Hardly gas saving. No. Well, I mean, as far as lower speeds go, I've heard it said that 45 miles per hour is the most efficient speed you can drive. I've heard the same thing. And that's why it hurts me when I see signs that say like 25 miles per hour because I want to go 45. 45 is such a comfortable speed for my Vulcan to ride at. Like it loves 45 miles per hour. When you force it to go slower... I can just feel my motorcycle not enjoying it. Mm -hmm. You know, it and I, you know, have this connection. Yes. And I definitely get the sense that that Goose is very connected with his motorcycle because he and it go through so much together. Um, I'm pretty sure this is the same one that he crashed in during the Knight Rider chase and they just buffed it up and made it look better. And now he's just out joyriding with it again. And I say specifically that he's joyriding because he's going way too fast to like hear his radio, so it's not like he's on <laughs> patrol. Like if dispatch it's... wanted to get a hold of him, good oh shocker, luck. they couldn't get a hold of him. I know it's so out of character for him. <laughs> the idea that he's unreachable. But I, I do think it's clear that he is joyriding. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think he's he may be on duty, but for Goose, all that means is that he's riding his cop bike and wearing his leathers. Exactly. Like instead of riding his own bike. Which, if I remember correctly, and I'm surprised we didn't comment on this, looks a lot smaller oh, yeah. than his cop bike. When in reality, it's probably the same bike. It's probably this part of the the uh, set of Kawasaki's that the, they got for production. Yeah. So it's probably the exact same bike. Just the set dressing done on his MFP bike makes it look like the typical like big, beefy... Yeah, that front fairing adds a lot of visual weight yes. to the motorcycle, where his personal bike... Is a lot lighter mm-hmm. on that type of stuff. So as he's riding along, hey, the soundtrack comes back, wouldn't you know? And <laughs> and it actually adds something worthwhile to the scene, yes, which is it does. exactly what we were complaining about yesterday. Yes, it does. It starts off very subtle, but it actually like picks up later in the minute. Um, but before that happens, we get this really cool over-the-shoulder shot of the speed gauges and the rpm meter and the handlebars and whatnot and the whole idea is that this is the goose eye view Mm -hmm. as he's riding along and the way they pulled that off is they took one of the 
extra bikers, one of the vigilantes, his name was Terry Gibson, and they had him drive. Meanwhile, they had this the, the cinematographer, David Egby, on the back of the motorcycle, just literally tied together. Like, they had ropes around their midsections, tying them together just to make sure that David Egby didn't fall off. <laughs> And so all of these shots of them speeding down the highway, you know, David's got this huge 30, 40 pound camera on his shoulder and he's trying to keep it steady and it bucks around a lot. There's a lot of jostling because not only is he on the back of a motorcycle, but he's also got all the wind beating on him and whatnot. It must have been extremely difficult. And so as I'm looking at these shots, you can very plainly see the speedometer. Yes. Which I kept misspelling as S-P-E-D-ometer instead of speed-ometer uh, because I always say it's speedometer. So, hmm. yeah, me being unable to spell on Google. Way to go, me. <laughs> but well, I, thank goodness for Google because it probably knew what you were trying to say. But I was curious as to what each of the numbers were because the cut that we watch for reference is not super high def. No, it's pretty shaky, like you mentioned. And so I found a picture of, you know, a 1976... Kawasaki KZ-1000 with the kilometers per hour faceplate. And I kind of did one of those things where I noted where the numbers were printed on the faceplate. And then I saw where the needle was. And I was able to really draw a circle around Mm -hmm. how fast they were going in each one of these shots. And so that first over-the-shoulder shot, which is just a fun phrase to say, puts them at about 180 kilometers per hour, which I plugged into Google kilometers per hour to miles per hour which puts the bike at somewhere around 110 miles per hour for us Americans. Okay. I have a serious problem with this. Okay. Because that is stupid fast. That is... Okay, we kind of joke and make comments about how unsafe this production was. I feel like that's crossing a line. That is too fast. (laughs) And I... Can you imagine, now I know your bike is much bigger than the Kawasaki that they're riding, but can you imagine taking your bike up that high? No. Wink, wink, wink. Richard! Um. (laughs) Okay, second question. Can you imagine taking your bike up that high with a passenger, with me on the back? You know, because you'd probably start drumming on my back as soon as I start well, going too fast. I can't see the the speedometer. Yeah, but you get a pretty good sense of speed, like, once you start paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> I could probably <laughs> go that fast on the Vulcan without you noticing, because you just kind of space out. Because I do space out. You know, give you a full face helmet and a jacket that actually blocks the wind, and I could probably go a lot faster. <laughs> Do you I need don't, a better jacket? I don't know my exact top speed on that thing, but... But it's over 100. You, you, we're, I keep forgetting this is an audio medium. I'm nodding right now, but I don't want to necessarily come right out and say yes. <laughs> so. Do you remember the first time, car or bike, the first time that you went over 100 miles an hour? There's one time in particular I was driving a pickup truck from Winnemucca, Nevada down to... Where was it? Fallon. I was going from Winnemucca, Nevada down to Fallon in a pickup truck and I wanted to see where the limiter kicked in and I pushed it up to about 99. This was a, not a Bronco, it was a Chevy Colorado, I think it was, with one of the, one of those four-door cabs, like it, it was a big truck. Yeah. And I wanted to see how fast it was going and it was the middle of the desert, so I just put the hammer down on it and saw how fast You're it so could go. You're so lucky you didn't run out of gas because I can imagine that thing. Oh, that thing had terrible gas Guzzles. mileage. 
absolutely terrible gas mileage (laughs) the first time this is so stupid like so stupid the first time that i went over 100 miles an hour uh i was driving my dad's pontiac something or other big gigantic thing and i was on 95 um in a congested area and i think it was in the middle of the night yeah do you know in my hometown the big bridge that goes over the river Mm mm-hmm yeah, it was on there. Oh, okay. I was about to say. It was really wide open. I mean, it's like a four or five lane bridge each direction. So it's, you know, big, gigantic thing. Yeah, how far How far can you go without just driving through the whole state at that point? I mean, <laughs> I mean, Connecticut's not the absolutely well, smallest state in the Union, but it's pretty close. I got to where I was going really fast. Yeah. But it was one of those I wanted to see... You know what it was like. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I have to say, it must have been pretty harrowing for David Egby to be strapped to the back of that motorcycle going that fast. Though. Absolutely. I just, I can't imagine. Guy had nerves of steel. Yep. So we actually get two over the shoulder shots like this in this minute. Uh, the first one, like you said, going up about 110 miles per hour. There's another one where he's actually kind of going around a corner where he actually slows it down to like 85. Oh, okay. I know. Because you don't want to go around the corner too fast. <laughs> well, of that course not. That would be unsafe. Not. You don't want to lose traction on those tires and slide off the road. As this minute progresses, we get a couple of more different shots. Um, specifically, we get a lot of shots looking at that back tire, reminding us as the music is starting to build up from its subtlety up to its more exciting pace, reminding us that, oh yeah, something has been done to the backside of this motorcycle. Something is going to go wrong in this general area because they showed us so much happening in that zone during the nightclub scene. Yes. I almost want to say that the amount of focus is a little heavy-handed, but then again, not because we do pay off. That is where whatever the problem is, that's where it occurs, Mm -hmm. is on that back tire. So focusing on that tire does pay off. So I guess I'm okay with the amount of focus. Yeah. And we get like three or four different shots of it just to really remind us, okay, he's been riding for a long time. You think he's safe, but at the same time, hey, remember this? Right. You think he's safe, but he's not safe. And we're reminding you that he's not safe. Yeah. I want to say that there are better ways to lull people into a false sense of security than having a solid 45 seconds split over between these two minutes of him just riding. I'm okay with... This portion. Yeah. Because we get a really good sense of how fast he's going and how how much he's enjoying himself. Yeah. It's the previous minute. Yeah, the previous like we've minute already, is what we have problems with. we beat that dead horse. <laughs> that could have been entirely skipped. This, I like. Yeah. And I think I would like it more if I hadn't had to sit through the previous minute. Right. And how much drudgery there was with the writing. Mm-hmm. I think we learn everything we need to learn with these shots. We keep dancing back and forth between shots of goose on the motorcycle, close-ups of the tire, until we get to a point where the soundtrack just builds up to this crescendo, and then we hear this just mechanical sound. And in my notes, I liken it to taking a cardboard box full of car parts and dropping it in the garage. (laughs) Like, it's not specific as to what's going on here. Mm -hmm. There's no one noise in particular that really highlights what went wrong. Um, This surprises me a little bit. Yeah. Because back in the scene where Johnny's messing with the bike, we kind of get the same thing. There's some noises. There's a metal file and some prying and some some this and some that. 
Nothing specific. Mm -hmm. Again, here when it's going wrong, just generic noises. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that they didn't say, you know, in the script, okay, this is what Johnny is doing. Yeah. This is what he's messing with. And then down the road, this is how it's going to go wrong. And this is what it's going to sound like. I'm just kind of surprised that they weren't more specific and planned out. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. So after we hear that awful sound, there's a really quick shot of goose on the motorcycle and the whole front end is just shaking and then it does a close-up on the rear tire as the rear tire just stops spinning and because i have such tight control as i watch these uh, playbacks i actually counted the number of frames that it took (laughs) for the wheel to be freely spinning to the wheel to be completely stopped and to start skidding and it takes about four frames and these are 30 frames a second so it's about 133 milliseconds just really quick To go from full spinning speed to zero. Now, what do you have any idea what would do that? Well, the number one thing that I would point to and say that is what was sabotaged on the motorcycle was something having to do with the rear brakes. Something where the the line was messed with or something was rigged so that it would snap and just crush closed those rear brakes. Something that would disable any sort of anti-lock braking system. The tricky part is Goose does a lot of accelerating. And I think he might spend the entirety of last minute and most of this minute doing nothing but accelerating. Mm -hmm. And so it might be, and I'm coming to this fresh. This is just train of thought thing. What might have happened is that Johnny sabotaged the rear brakes in such a way that the moment that Goose decides, okay, it's time for me to pull on the brakes to slow down for some reason, that it would trip the system and just slam shut the back brakes. Okay. Now, the the problem with that plan is Goose using the rear brake at a slow speed, you know. Wouldn't do anything. Wouldn't cause a crash. Exactly. It would just lock him up. Like, if he... It would actually save his life. Like, you know, he's going... 30 miles an hour, realizes there's a problem with his brake, he's immediately going to stop and get it back to the shop. Like, this plan could have gone awry really quickly. Let's say Goose is rolling up to a stoplight and he has an itch on his nose. So he takes his hand off of the throttle because he's slowing down anyway, goes to itch his nose and realizes, okay, I've got to slow down. So he presses on the rear brake instead of the front brake, and all of a sudden the thing just locks up. He's going, what, like 15, 20 miles an hour? He might go over the handlebars, but he's certainly not going to do what happens later on this minute. Yeah, and we've already seen him handle a crash situation like textbook. In control as much as he can be, Mm -hmm. and he came out of it with just a bum leg. So it healed remarkably fast. Yeah, so it might be that as he was going around this corner... He was slowing down naturally, just using air resistance, but then decided, okay, maybe I should hit on the brake a little bit. And then that sabotage would have locked the brakes shut. He would have lost traction with the back tire and probably been unable to navigate whatever he was looking to navigate. Yeah. And so in this scene, he goes careening off the road up into the air and flies off into the, the tall grass. Now, you have in your notes the name of the stuntman, right? Yep. Is it the same stuntman that was actually driving the bike? So, it's not the same guy. It's not Terry Gibson. The stuntman that they had on Goose's motorcycle for this jump, for the which crash, is what it is, the, yeah, for the jump. Um, was Terry Gosla. And so, they had about a 10 to 15 meter long ramp 
for him to ride up and go off of. And then as they were setting up, they got the stunt team together and they kind of felt it out. They kind of envisioned it and they said, okay, we'll put a bunch of boxes covered in mattresses over here. (laughs) And when Jerry went up over the ramp, he flew through the air. Bike went off this way. He kind of moved himself over to the side so that he didn't land on top of the bike. And then he just nailed the, the landing zone pretty much exactly. They... Use slow motion for this shot, which makes it look just even better. It is a beautiful shot. I mean, I question the reality of being thrown from the bike in that way, Mm -hmm. but it's a beautiful shot. I think it's easier to say not so much that he was thrown from the bike, but that he made an effort to distance himself from the bike because, hey, I'm airborne. I do not want to land on this thing. So you think it's another example of Goose handling a crash the best way he could? like. Like back in the Night Rider. Absolutely. I think this is years of riding and police experience kicking in at the most important time. Yeah, I guess so. I, <laughs> I guess I'm having a hard time giving Goose credit. Um, but, but that also does remind me, after he broke his leg and he meets Max in the courtyard, he's riding his own motorcycle with one leg, with the other leg propped up. Yeah. On the bike. He's got some serious riding skill. That's a lot of skill. And even the way he circles Max going rather slowly, like Mm -hmm. that's skillful in and of itself. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll give Goose some credit that he is a skillful rider. So after he flies through the air, we get that awesome slow-mo shot. He just kind of lands in the tall grass. And there's a bit of a continuity error here because as you're watching Jerry Gosler fly through the air, his legs are pretty much pointing straight up and he's kind of falling with his back parallel to the ground. So when he eventually hits, you know, he's going to land with his back against the landing zone. Mm -hmm. But when we cut to see Goose landing in the tall grass, he's kind of landing feet first in such a way that he can do like a forward roll. And when you think of which way Jerry was facing versus which way Goose is facing. Yeah. It's It's like there was some sort of weird roll that happened in the split second before he hit the ground. But speaking of rolls, I think this maneuver that Goose does is what really saves him because he's got a lot of momentum going laterally because he kind of flew off the side of the road. It's not like he's falling down. It's more like he's falling straight. Forward, yeah. And so the fact that he's able to... Probably slow down in air just because of natural air resistance. It's not going to be enough to really save him, but it's going to slow him down a bit. And then when he actually hits the ground, he's able to kind of, his feet hit first, he kind of rolls up, and then he kind of allows himself to slow down more than if he just went splat against a wall. Yeah. And it's that more gradual reduction of speed that really saves him. Yes. And of course, movie magic. (laughs) (laughs) A sprinkle of movie magic. Yeah, just for just for good luck. Reminds me of those um, guardrails that we've talked about. Not on, not recording, but you and I, uh, where they have rollers on them, mm-hmm. so that when somebody hits them, instead of all of that energy going into the guardrail, it kind of disperses it, kind of rolls forward, and they slow down, disperse their energy a little bit more naturally, less damage to the car, the people. Yeah, because yeah. in the situation of a crash, it's not 
so much what you hit, it's how fast you stop moving. Yes. That really does a lot of the damage. Um, and so I think it was like a YouTube video that I shared where it was a design for, like you said, just a guardrail. And it had all these big plastic rollers. And the whole idea is that you transform forward motion into like a like a lateral motion. Yeah. And so it kind of catches the vehicle and lets it roll along the side of this wall. As opposed to a normal guardrail, which is pretty much just designed to catch and wrap around whatever it hits. And it deals massive damage to the fence. It deals massive damage to the car. You know, if you're a motorcycle and you hit one of those things, you end up flying off of it. Mm -hmm. It's not pretty. But yeah, as many times as you can roll or more gradually slow your momentum, the better. (laughs) For sure. Like, I think best case scenario is if Goose had some sort of deployable wingsuit. (laughs) (laughs) That as he got off the bike, he could like... Stretch out a membrane between his and arms and body. Down. Well, whatever he did, it works wonders. Because yeah. as we'll see in the next minute, mm-hmm. he's good to go. Yeah. And it's fun with this minute because where we end, he lands in the grass. And then we just kind of fade to only being able to see the tall grass. Mm-hmm. So if you were only to watch this minute, you'd be like, oh, he dead. Yeah. <laughs> But that is not exactly the case. He's actually quite fine, and we're going to see that more tomorrow. And I cannot tell you how glad I am that we are done with this motorcycle ride. Because it is so boring to pour through over and over and over again. (laughs) Because, like, I thrive on inter-character act. Because I thrive on interaction between characters. And when it's just nothing, it just hurts. (laughs) I'm very much looking forward to some of the minutes coming up. I yeah. know we got some really interesting stuff, and it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Plus, we get to meet Midge tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. So come back for that. Yeah. In the meantime, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 43. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men Take me to the end of the dream Hold on tight so it sure feels right Stick to your